Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I will answer a few questions that were sent in by fine listeners like yourself. If you have a question, feedback at doug.show is where you could send it in, and I will potentially feature it in a future episode. So I'll give folks a shout out. Uh, We had Trey asking one, we have Jason asking another, and Kareem sort of confirming a question that I get from multiple people all the time. So I'll tell you the questions in a second, but I'll warn you, I'm going to tell a guitar story at the end, so hopefully I won't lose too many people. It won't be too long. I mean, part of it is a little exciting because I got a pretty good deal And I met some random person from Craigslist, which is always exciting. And it worked out pretty well at the end of the day. And it spans back uh, for years, sort of, but at least a couple months. So you'll hear hear the mysterious story about the guitar. It's really fun. Okay. The other part is I'm drinking a beer right now. It is beer 30 over here where I am. And this is from Oscar Blues, Mama's Little Yellow Pills. It is a Bohemian Pilsner, 4.7% alcohol. It's a fine beer brewed right here in Longmont by Oscar Blues. I I usually get the variety packs out there um, from Sam's, actually. So it's a case of beer, pretty economic. It's actually cheaper to get those cases of beers versus buying a keg, which is kind of disappointing because there's more, uh, I guess, cans and waste. But, you know, a can is a nice format. You can drink them in the shower, you take them to the pool, whatever. Versatile, very versatile. Or you could just drink them at your desk like I'm doing right now. Okay. I do want to give a shout out really quick to Ezoic and Leap. They're sponsoring this episode and it helps you with optimization features to diagnostics so that websites can pass core web vitals. And basically, it is free to use. It's a product that's free to use if you're monetizing with Ezoic. And it'll make your site load faster and basically simplify things so that you can get those green core web vitals. And if you're not using Ezoic yet, uh, you, you can. There's no minimum page views at this point. So you could hop right in, start using Ezoic, even if you have a fairly new site. So appreciate the sponsorship. Go check them out. There's a link in the show notes. Let's get into the questions. So number one, Trey is asking about sort of keyword targeting. And he says, hey, I watched a few of your videos, but there's something I'm not sure about. Once I've identified some keyword golden ratio compliant keywords. Can I use several of them in one post if they're related? Or is it necessary to make one post per KGR term? So if Google is looking for those long tail keywords, wouldn't it find them in the post as well as in the title? So good question. And the one one challenging thing is a lot of people do find the concept of the keyword golden ratio on YouTube. And YouTube is a fine platform. I enjoy watching videos and publishing videos. It is kind of a son of a bitch though, because YouTube will 
basically just distract you. I mean, really effectively pull you away. So there might be a few videos that actually go together really well. And maybe someone like me puts them in a playlist where I sort of want you to watch all of them together. But there's a strong chance you might just watch one of them, maybe out of order. So you're catching like a story in the middle. And basically, you may have questions like this, where potentially they've been answered before. The other thing that I can't blame anyone but myself is I have a lot of YouTube videos out there. Some of them are really, I mean, they're not 100% duplicate, but they're highly derivative of each other and maybe a little redundant. So with, I think I have like 1,400 videos, 1,300 videos right now. So it's kind of hard to find stuff. <laughs> it's it's a little unmanageable. And I mean, that's part of the value of the courses I have. It sort of strips away, you know, all the extra shit that you don't need, of which there's a lot, right? I, I, part of this is just like a content machine and I need to put out videos so that people can find them and then hopefully land back on the website, Niche Site Project, where I actually answered this question at one point. And I did send this over to Trey. So the question that I answered is what what you should do if you have similar KGR terms. So basically, I like to think about it like the visitor, right? So if the visitor, and well, let's call it the searcher, not visitor. The searcher is looking for a specific thing. They have a problem and they want it solved. And you may have many different searchers that can read the same article and have their problem solved. They get an answer to their question. So I like to think about it like that way. Think about it like that way. I like to think about it like that. <laughs> so when you are trying to sort of serve the Google algorithm and you're thinking like an SEO, you can make weird decisions and have you know a bunch of content combined when it shouldn't be combined, or you can have a bunch of content that is all separated out and really it's like the same topic and it's really derivative. Kind of like what I've done over on the YouTube side and, and many other people too. The algorithms are totally different on YouTube and for Google. So the, the point that I'm making is if you can have a piece of content that'll work for two different searchers that maybe are even searching for something different, then maybe you can combine those keywords together. And I'll give you a, a quick example. People may have heard me uh, give this one before, but basically let's say it's about blenders and your uh, one of your keywords is, I'm going to give you three, three keyword phrases. So best blender for protein shakes, best blender for protein smoothies, and best blender for milkshakes. Hopefully, in your brain, you're already thinking, while the person who is looking for the, the protein, maybe the health shakes, the smoothies, like they're looking for something more health-oriented. They're not looking to have a milkshake, which sounds really good right now. I love those milkshakes from Chick-fil-A. They're so they're so good. I don't even want to know how many calories they are, but basically the person that is looking for the milkshake blender probably doesn't care about, 
you know, the amount of protein per serving or going to the gym or anything like that. They're looking to make milkshakes, which I totally respect as much as the the protein gym going searcher. So basically, you can combine the keywords into one post if the content can serve the two different searchers. And you can get, you know, kind of clever about it if you want to put both of the keyword phrases sort of like in the title, or if you want to have a different section that maybe targets one of the other keywords a little bit better, something like that. And the thing is, in the content, the blenders that you're recommending, they might be the same exact blenders, but the context of the article and the intro for the milkshake versus the protein shake blender, they're going to be totally different. So keep that in mind. And basically, when you're trying to figure out these kind of SEO questions and you're trying to figure out like the best way to do it, at some point, just get out of your head, throw the, you know, SEO tinfoil hat that you're wearing out the window, or maybe just set it aside because you're going to need to put it back on sometime again soon. But take off that tinfoil hat and just think about the searcher and like getting that person the answer. And sometimes you have to think about like how you would react. So when you're thinking about content yourself or you're trying to find an answer, um, recently I had to Google um, how to blow out your sprinklers for winter, like winterizing, did I say speakers? Sprinklers, sprinklers. I haven't even had a sip of the beer yet. Full disclosure, I have no no clue why I'm not talking uh, with words that I am trying to say. So anyway, I had to Google that. And basically, there's probably a few things that you can search for. And um, when you find the wrong content, it's very apparent. So think back in examples when you've Googled something and you've ended up in some you know different place on the internet than you were planning on, a place where you're not getting your question answered. All right, hopefully I'll do better for the next one here. <laughs> uh, this one's from Jason. What should I have on my home page? So there's a, a lot of different things that you could put on your home page, and it probably depends on the website. So if you know you're like me and some of my peers over at Niche Site Project, you may want to try to get people to sign up for your email list. So if you go to nichesiteproject.com, you'll see there's some you know, content, some opt-in stuff, but the main goal is to get people to sign up for the email list. Now there's some other links there and that honestly was changed not too long ago. So the thing that I'm gonna emphasize here is for your homepage, it's really important to have some links going to some of your most important content that you want to rank and also potentially to some category like pages. So those could be the actual category pages created by WordPress, or it could be like a custom category page where you actually create a page, you have some copy on there, maybe a little intro, and then you have perhaps different sections and you're really sort of sculpting and you're being very surgical about what is on that page so that essentially you're able to have uh, a low number of clicks for a person to get from your homepage to any given article on your site. 
and that could be a post or a page. And basically, you want to have a, you know, not a deep um, architecture for your site. You want it to be fairly thin. And sort of the rule of thumb is any piece of content should be like two clicks away from the home page. And that's one thing that I kind of screwed up on on multiple sites in the past. And I, I did that on Niche Site Project because I was so so focused on just trying to get people to sign up for the email list that I didn't have a very good navigation system. So it was hard for people to get off the home page. You had to scroll all the way to the bottom, go to the blog, and maybe there was a little navigation in, in the footer area, but not a sort of full navigation that a person might expect. So I was so caught up on the email list building that I really didn't have a good flow to the website, uh, good architecture in general. And that actually carried over to a site that I'm going to talk about in, I guess, episode 305. So it's coming up in um, a couple episodes here. But basically, I had a couple links going to a couple of the important pages from the homepage, but I did not have a very good site structure overall. And I don't think I got into the area where my crawl budget was hit. So if you're unfamiliar with that, um, it's sort of the concept, I may screw it up a little bit, but it's sort of the concept that the Google bots will crawl your site and there's a certain budget allocated. So if you have sort of a shitty structure, like I'm describing where some of your pages are like 10 clicks away from the homepage or 15 or 20 clicks away from the homepage, you could run into an issue where Google is unable to efficiently crawl your site and index it efficiently. If you have a shallow architecture for your site, then Google can very quickly, you know, go to the homepage, go to your custom category page and hit every single one of your posts two clicks away. So as far as your homepage, it's really important to have that in place. And I've identified that on a few of my student sites as well, where they needed to tighten up their click uh, structure, I guess, the whole architecture. So the other things that you could have on your homepage, I like to have like a little about page or section on the homepage. So it doesn't have to be the full-blown about section, but just a little bit about who you are, what the site's goal is, that sort of thing. And it's also nice to have maybe some of the recent blog posts linked there. That's kind of a default setting on a lot of themes. And the other is links to maybe your most important pieces of content. Maybe it's a, you know, your best buyer's guide or your best informational pieces of content. And there may be, you know, two or four of those or something like that. If you have a, you know, big large mature site, maybe there's, you know, six of them. And you could have a look at other sites in your industry to get an idea how they design the homepages. One thing I have observed as well is basically a small like about section, sometimes at the top of a of the homepage. And then all of the other posts, every single post on the site is listed on the homepage. So that is as shallow of a structures you could have. It's basically, you know, one click away. Everything is one click away because everything's linked from the homepage. And you do, you know, with that, you have very 
very effective way to like spread the link juice to all of all of the pages on the site. So there, I'm sure there's probably some pros and cons for that. Like I could just think a decision fatigue if someone lands on the homepage and you have 300 posts or 800 posts or whatever linked from the homepage, that's a little unmanageable. I mean, it's hard for someone to figure out like where they want to go. You could structure it and give it some, I guess, what word am I looking for here? You can give it some intelligence, right? So a person might be able to navigate to the spot that they're trying to get to, but pros and cons, right? And I've seen this on a few sites and I don't know. I haven't tested it where it's like uh, before and after or anything like that, where all of a sudden by doing that or not doing that, rankings improved or any sort of uh, interaction on the site improved. I haven't checked it or anything. So those are sort of my main ideas on the homepage. And let me grab a sip of beer here and I'll be right back. It's a good, easy drinking beer. One downside for drinking beer while recording is you have to burp. You know, it's just one of those things. I used to listen to beer brewing podcast all the time. And yeah, they would they would drink. There was a lot of burping and it was just kind of accepted on those podcasts. Sometimes it was a little funny, but usually it, you know, it was a little gross. So I won't be doing any of that. I'll edit it out if that becomes an issue. All right, last question here is about the sandbox. Get this one all the time. If you're unfamiliar with the concept of the Google sandbox, generally it's, well, there's two definitions. I've heard one where some people are extremely strict and they say Google won't rank your site for anything during the sandbox period. I think that's a little bit of a, you know, too strict of a definition. And then the other one, the one that I sort of describe is Google won't rank your site as high as potentially it could be ranked until it reaches some age. And I don't think the sandbox period starts until you start publishing the content. And I also have a little bit of a theory that each piece of content, each URL has its own little mini sandbox. So as you publish things, say over the course of a year, the things that you publish first will have an older age than the things that you published in month 11, for example. And it may take a little longer for things at month 11 to rank because those need to age a little bit too. So again, I have sort of the sort of more generous definition of the sandbox where you can indeed rank in Google from day one, potentially, and early on, but you might rank in, say, the top 15 instead of the top three. And it just takes some time for you to hit that point. The most popular cited time period for the sandbox is six months. However, I've seen it a lot last closer to a year. And it probably depends on a number of factors, but just as time has gone on, I've seen more and more examples of the sandbox lasting closer to a year. And, you know, that might be 10 months or something like that. And it sort of varies, but I did get an email from Kareem. So thanks for 
sending this information over, but he sent a screenshot from the Google Search Console, and it was very clear that for the first, I would say, 11 months or so, there was very little traffic. Um, There was some traffic, it looks like maybe 10 or 15 visitors a day, and then once the site hit 11 months, about a year old or so, it really took off in a dramatic way. And it was, you know, super clear. And Kareem mentioned that I was just flying blind. I didn't know if anything I was doing was working for the first six months. And then it started to pick up just a little bit. And like I said, right around month 12, one year old, the site took off. Traffic exploded. It's getting, you know, quite a bit of traffic at this point. And I've seen that actually in a site that I started in sort of mid 2020, which I'm going to talk about in episode 305. So be sure to check that. Actually, I'll mention episode 305. I'm going to talk about five different sites and reference five different sites that have been started uh, in the last couple years or so. Some of them more recent, some of them are a little older, just to give you an idea of the timeline and uh, traffic and earnings and stuff like that that you might expect, or at least case study style where I can give you a couple examples and surely there's you know hundreds of examples where it'll prove or confirm or completely you know disprove the five sites that I'm going to talk about in episode 305. But overall, I would say, yeah, the sandbox is real. Once you hit you know some threshold, could be six months, could be nine months, could be 12 or anywhere in between, you will start to see the traffic uptick, the rankings get a little bit better. And it seems to be largely based on the age of the site versus anything else. You know, it doesn't seem to be correlated to the quality or backlinks or any updates or anything like that. It looks like it's just the age of the site. And uh, other quick note, Kareem did mention his site had, I think, 30 pieces of content. I don't know exactly when he published all that content, but just overall, not much happened until it hit one year. If you have any data about the sandbox, maybe you started a site, maybe it was on an age domain, maybe it was a brand new domain, send it over to me. I'm interested in hearing about the timeline, uh, maybe the amount of traffic and the amount of content that you have on your site. So now it's time for the guitar story. So this year I sort of indulged and I've purchased three guitars this year. It's pretty fun. And this most recent one I found on Craigslist and it's a it's a Martin Double O fifteen M. So it's all mahogany. If people are not familiar, Martin is based out of Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and these are pretty nice guitars. I mean, it's there's a few uh, sort of well known brands: Martin, Gibson, Taylor, handful of other more sort of boutique companies, smaller companies, but. Martin's really a, a great company, 
great guitars and they've been around for a long time. So I've always thought, oh, it'd be great to have a Martin of some kind. And the all mahogany body is a little bit cheaper typically. So it's all solid wood and it is mahogany. The all solid wood thing for the people that don't know, that's sort of like the higher end guitars. So my first guitar, the guitar that I've had for, I guess, a little over 20 years, it's a solid top, but the back and sides are laminated wood. So those are a little uh, cheaper. It's not as high quality. It won't sound um, as good typically as an all solid wood guitar. And those guitars are a little bit cheaper too. So the all solid wood is a little more expensive because it's solid, not laminate kind of woods. So this mahogany uh, style is one that I've looked at for for many years thinking, oh, that's sort of the the cheapest sort of uh, all solid wood guitar that I could get. So, and I've, I've looked at these for you know, 15, probably 20 years or so. And I was recently up in Bozeman, Montana at a great music shop called Music Villa. And they have uh, some fantastic guitars. And I was just, I wanted to go by there. I was just visiting town and I wanted to uh, hop in and check out what they had in the showroom. And they had one of these. They had a double lot, uh, 15M. They said that they'd just gotten it in. Like they put it out that morning and I was playing it. And it was, you know, brand new. It was like 1300 bucks. So kind of expensive. You know, I usually don't spend too much, but I was like, man, it sounds so good. It plays awesome. And, you know, in Music Villa, they get a guitar in and they they set it up and make sure it plays really wonderful. And I was like, oh man, I would love to have this, but it's a little expensive and I wasn't, I wasn't looking to buy a guitar. So fast forward, a few weeks go by. I am uh, perusing Craigslist a little bit and I see this guitar locally here in Colorado and it's maybe like 40 minutes from where I live or so and it's listed for $850. Great deal. And the thing is, I know based on browsing around online that typically this guitar used would be maybe $1,100, something $1,100, $1,200, something like that. Maybe a thousand if you have one that's a little bit more beat up. So $850, I was blown away. So I emailed the guy, got some of the backstory and everything sort of checked out. We met up at, uh, I guess it was a, what was it? It was like a community senior center or something like that. We met outside and the guitar looked totally fine. It was uh, very dirty. And I was like, oh, how old are the strings on this guitar? And he said, they're at least five years old, which made me think those may be like the original strings that he got put on the guitar when he first bought it or something like that. And I mean, it was, the strings were like corroded and they looked, I mean, they looked nasty. I mean, they looked pretty nasty. And on top of that, sort of like in between uh, the frets and around the frets was sort of dirt and just like sweat build up. And, you know, if you play the guitar a lot and you don't change the strings, like it's going to get a little funky. So I could see it was like 
sort of dirty. But overall, it played pretty well. Uh, everything sort of checked out. There were no cracks, uh, no major scratches. I think there was just some you know minor wear, but it, honestly, I'm looking at it now. I don't see any actual scratches or anything like that. But it looks like it was played, but not too much. And he he said he played it a lot for like a year and a half, and then he just got another guitar, and he hasn't been playing as much, and he was thinking, hey, I just want to sell this thing. So anyway, I asked him. I'm not a, I'm not a huge negotiator, and I wanted the guitar. I mean, I drove out and I brought cash with me, which is uh, another part of the story. So... I did bring, I brought $850 out there, $850 in cash. And the thing is, most uh, ATMs, I hardly ever get cash, but most ATMs or uh, bank accounts, like checking accounts, they limit how much you can withdraw per day. And it depends. And it seems like uh, a lot of what I saw was either $500 or $1,000, depending on the kind of account that you have. Of course, if you go to the bank, then you could withdraw whatever you want and just you know, get the cash, right? My bank is um, not local here. So I didn't have a place that I can go and get the cash. And the thing is, I was not able to get $850 out. So I got out as much as I could and I was still short a few hundred dollars and I was supposed to meet the guy. So I was like, oh fuck, what am I going to do? And then I remembered I chatted with my friends, Lauren and Steven from Trip of a Lifestyle, and they told me about how they were buying a car and they also had trouble withdrawing enough money. They didn't have a local bank. So they did cash back at, I think, a Safeway. And they just had multiple transactions until they got out, I think, like 4000 bucks. So they had to go through a lot of times. Luckily, I was going to pass by a Walmart, so I was able to do cash back and get $100 cash back f- for every transaction, so I needed to go through about three times. No big deal. It did put me a little bit behind schedule. Uh, luckily, Bob was okay uh, to hang around. I showed up maybe like 15 minutes late, which I, I hate to show up late. I'm usually very punctual, and I don't want to keep people waiting. Um, I was unable to call him. I mean, it was an old dude, so he actually didn't have, like, whatever number I called, it was a landline. He did not have a cell phone with him. So, anyway, I rolled up, had all the cash, played the guitar for a few minutes, sounded great. I knew it would sound even better with some new strings and cleaning it up. And cool thing is, I just, I was like, hey, Bob, how firm are you on the price? He's like, ah, I'm not too firm, you know. Someone just made me an offer for seven fifty, so I'll take that if uh, that's cool with you. So he immediately dropped another hundred bucks without me. I, I mean, I didn't even have to say, oh, well, there's a scratch here and the strings and anything. He just dropped a hundred bucks. I thought that was a great deal anyway. I mean, eight hundred and fifty was a good deal. Seven fifty is even better. And technically, I mean, I'm not planning on flipping this guitar, but there's probably like a 90% chance I can sell it for $1,100 easy. Like no no issue with selling it for that amount. So I have this nice all mahogany guitar. Sounds very mellow. I put some nice uh, new strings on there. Spent about half an hour cleaning it up and scrubbing it and you know getting all the uh, you know dirt and grime off of it. And it's awesome. I love it. 
So I think I'm probably good for guitars for the rest of the year. I need to work on playing them and become a better guitar player. Stop buying so many of them, but it was fun. I mean, the thing is I had the, you know, the original guitar that I mentioned earlier and I got that in college, you know, 1999 or it could have been 2000, but I think it was 99 when I got that guitar. And I mean, they the guitars last as long as you don't beat the hell out of them too much. They last a pretty long time. So I have enjoyed accumulating a couple this year's fun. It's fun to look at them and, and play them and, and go check them out. And I, uh, I have more than I can play right now. I have a couple down here in the studio area and one upstairs. So no matter what floor I'm on in the house, I can play the guitar a little bit. All right. If you have questions out there, feedback at doug.show would love to have a few more mailbag episodes in the mix. I like doing these. Thanks again to Ezoic. And if you haven't left a review for the show, I would love it if you did that on wherever you listen to this thing. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, get more people to listen to the show. I would love it. All right. Have a good weekend or day. It's weekend here. I'm recording this on Friday. So, all right. We'll catch you later.